Wow, I cried the second service. <laughs> he leaned over and said, I, I wish we had a third service so I could hear that again. Yeah. <clears throat> Those of you who have a short attention span, <clears throat> which I know is me, uh, I'm, I'm going to give you the entire message here in about 30 seconds. And then you can go to the Bahamas like you normally do and feel fine about it because I gave you permission to do so. Um, <clears throat> this morning, I, I am going to beg you. I'm going to plead with you to don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Uh, I, I'm looking at people primarily younger than myself. I know a few of there are my age and older, but most of you are younger than myself. I am 21 <laughs> times 2. <laughs> I'm 42. And I'm looking at people who, by and large, even if you're my age, you still, with today's medical science, I plan on living to be 142. The, that was supposed to be a joke. That's all right. Uh, you, you still got a lot of your life ahead of you. Don't waste your life. Seriously. Grab this moment and go for it. You think, oh, you know, one or two little decisions and I'll be fine. No, you won't. No, no, you won't. I'm just going to tell you right now, you won't. I have friends over 20 years ago who made small little decisions and have wandered away from Christ and are wasting their life. Don't do that. Don't do that. We're in the middle of the Gospel of John in John chapter 10. If you want to open up your Bible to John chapter 10 or you can grab an insert or there's a little booklet or look on the screen or however you want to do it, we are in the middle of uh, John chapter 10. We're going to take four weeks to go through this um, and then we'll break for a little uh, Christmas series, but uh, we'll finish up with John chapter 10 before that. We're in the second week of this, of what's going on here. And just to catch you up to speed, I kind of want to have you... Uh, 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 we're just going to catch up what we talked about last week. In John chapter 10, Jesus used a figure of speech. He says in verse 1, he says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, <clears throat> but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. Now, obviously this is an illustration. He's making a point here. And you have to remember the context. Uh, John chapter 10 follows... John chapter 9, huh? huh? I studied that all week. And, and so we'll talk about John chapter 9 here in a little bit, but just to, the, the, the very minimum you have to know about that is what's happening here is Jesus has, in John chapter 9, has healed a man who was born blind. He did it in a certain way. He didn't just say, be healed. He actually spit on the ground, picked up this clump of mud, and put it on the guy's eyes and told him to go and wash, which would tick off the religious rulers. And he did it on purpose. I'm convinced he did it on purpose. He did it so that they would be angry with him because he did this on a Sabbath when you weren't supposed to do any work. Their own law, their own rule was you can't do any work on the Sabbath. And by Jesus spitting and making mud, it was work. And now and they've ridiculed this blind man, and we'll see that in just a minute. They've ridiculed him, and they are, many of them are standing around, and Jesus shifts the metaphor now, and he says this parable. It's a story. He's going to have a point to it. He says this. He says, there, there's, a, there's a guy who comes to the sheep pen. They all would have known what a sheep pen was. Well, if you weren't here last week, we'll show you a picture again. We'll talk about that in a minute. 
He doesn't go by the gate, but if he climbs in over the wall, he's a thief and a robber. The man, the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. Verse 3, the watchman opens the gate for him. So there's a watchman here. He's got a key for the door. He opens the door. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And the sheep follow him. Isn't that kind of interesting? He's ahead. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. So a shepherd would have known so intimately the sheep that were his that he would have, he would have been able to go in there and say something Whatever the call was or whatever, the sheep would have said, Aha, that is my shepherd. Woohoo, I'm following him. And you'd go after him. And in fact, so much so that they would just walk in the sheep. He would know that the sheep would follow him because they trusted him that much. But, Jesus says in the next verse, they will never follow a stranger. They won't follow a stranger. In fact, they're going to run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. This is a huge, in-your-face parable to these guys. They're standing there. They're the religious rulers of the day, the Pharisees. They're the ones above, you know, they're supposed to be the spiritual rulers of the day. We're going to find out they aren't spiritual. They're just political and powerful and religious. And, and Jesus is indicting them, saying, the real shepherd, the real shepherd is the one who goes to the gate. And when, the, when the gate opens up, by the watchman recognizes him, he calls out a sheep, and his sheep follow him. In fact, when people come in who aren't the shepherd of the sheep and they try to call them, what happens? They don't come. Now you have to understand John chapter 10, this whole sheep and shepherd thing in the context of what happened in chapter 9. And Jesus is going to talk about one of these sheep here. Just take a look with me. Flip back to John chapter 9, starting in verse 24. These religious rulers had taken this blind guy in several times and, and trying to get him to confess something or other. They, they didn't want to believe that Jesus was who he really was. So in verse 24, the second time they, the religious rulers, summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He, the, the blind man, the man who was born blind but then became healed, says whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know I was blind, but now I see. Facts are stubborn things. I can, you guys know I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the, and the guy answers, I, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. I can just see him going, uh, ha, 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 ha. you guys claim to be these big spiritual guru hurus, and right before you was a guy who did something to me. My eyes are, were blind, now they can see, and you, what is with you guys? That is just remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. You know what that is? You know what that's an example of right there? That's a sheep looking at a false shepherd going, ba 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 ba. Right? I don't recognize your voice, Jack. You're not my shepherd. To this they replied, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they throw him out. Jesus finds him. Next verse. 
It says, do you believe in this? Jesus finds the, that they heard that, the, that he'd been thrown out of the synagogue and he, or to the, the temple and he, and he temple courts and he, and he finds him. And he says, do you believe in the son of man? And the blind man, the man who's been healed says, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I can believe in him. And Jesus says, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the guy falls on his face, presumably, and says, Lord, I believe. Do you see that? That's a sheep. That's a sheep who found a shepherd, who heard the shepherd's voice and says, I'm after you. But you guys, I'm not after you. These guys are still standing there because Jesus says, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. There's, there's Pharisees standing there. These religious rulers are standing there. They're with him and they heard him say this and ask, what are we blind to? And Jesus says, if you were blind you'd not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And then we go into John chapter 10. This, this story of, I'm going to tell you something, guys. You think you're shepherds? You're not. You're not only bad shepherds, you're actually thieves and robbers. Okay. After he gives that, in, in verse 5 of the thing, he says, um, they will never follow a stranger. They will never follow a stranger's voice. God has prepared his sheep so that they hear his voice. Hear this. Man, this is something, one of the, the, the first guys that, that uh, was working in my life, he says, take everything you hear and filter it through the Bible. And if it doesn't filter out, don't believe it. I say that about me. Whatever you hear here on Sunday morning, filter it through the Bible. It doesn't come out the bottom. Don't, don't buy it. Listen to the voice. If God, if you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ so that he is your shepherd, you are his sheep. And God has reserved it such that there's something in you that delights in hearing him. And there's something that kind of sounds when you hear something that's not of him. And you've got to kind of take that, however that works, when it's not right, and you've got to kind of say, ah, I need to bleat back at him a little bit. Ba, ba, ba. Back to these false shepherds. Now, the, he uses all this as a figure of speech, John chapter 10, verse 6, but they didn't understand what he was talking about. So, verse 7, Jesus says, therefore, or excuse me, it says, therefore, Jesus said again, I'm going to come at this same concept here, gentlemen, he's saying to these religious rulers, from a different angle, and believe me, this is going to seem at least for a minute to be a very different angle, but it, it's going to clear up and it's going to be very similar, but just hang with us here now. He says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. Or if you have the King Jimmy in front of you, or the Revised Standard, it says, I am the door for the sheep. Okay, so now you're sitting there going, okay, okay. He was the shepherd at first, and he came in and he got the sheep, but now he's actually the door. Hmm, how does that work? Now the question is then, in John chapter 10, is Jesus the shepherd or is he the door to the sheep pen? And the answer is yes. Good postmodern answer. Very nice. <laughs> the answer is yes. Historically, will we'll help us out a little bit if you understand a little bit about shepherding. And I, I didn't know this. So this was news to me. Um, William Barclay in his, he's got a two-volume uh, Gospel of John commentary. When I first became a follower of Jesus Christ back during the Civil War times, and, and one of the first things I started reading was the Gospel of John. 
And as a help to help me understand it, I picked up these commentaries by William Barclay. They're just paperback. And by and large, they're very good. You should always have things in commentaries where you kind of go, <laughs> I don't think so. Again, filter it through. There's some things in Barclay I don't buy, but by and large, this was great. This comment right here to help you to understand, and it's confirmed by other historical things too, help you understand what shepherding was like in that culture will help you to understand what this means. It says, in this parable, Jesus spoke about two kinds of sheepfolds. Sheep pen, that's another name for a sheep pen. In the villages and towns themselves, they were communal sheepfolds where all the village flocks were sheltered uh, when they returned home at night. These folds were protected by a strong door of which only the guardian of the door held the key. It was to, uh, it was to that kind of fold Jesus referred, in, referred to in verses 2 and 3. But when the sheep were out in the hills in the warm season and did not return at night to the village at all, they were collected into sheep folds on the hillside. These hillside sheep folds were just open spaces enclosed by a wall. Or, or perhaps there wasn't even a wall there at all. They just would make uh, brush piles. And sheep, again, not being very smart, couldn't realize they could just push over the brush. It was just, it would work. In them, there was an opening by which the sheep came in and went out. But there was no door of any kind. What happened was that at night, the shepherd himself lay down across the opening, and no sheep could get out or in except over his body. In the most literal sense, the shepherd was the door. Now, take a look at this picture I have here. I showed it last week, too. This is a makeshift uh, sheep pen made by British uh, military at one of their bases or whatever. You can see how they're using the walls. This would have been more one like one that would have been, it would have been a little fancier than this, and they would have had a gate. It would have had a key, possibly, or at least some locking mechanism so the sheep couldn't get in and out. And it would have had some, some semblance of permanent walls. Out in the field, though, it wouldn't be that way. It'd be whatever they could get together to hold the sheep at night. And the shepherd himself would lie across the opening. Now, obviously, it's his livelihood. So you could argue that, you know, this, is, this was his livelihood. So he should, you know, do that. But there's got to be a certain amount of love, too, for these sheep. To care for them that way. And if a real shepherd... A real eastern shepherd would have loved his sheep so much they would have known all about them individually and would have cared for them enough to lie down at night and sleep there within a few feet of the sheep. In fact, the sheep might have been right up against him. Now, you might think that's not a big deal. Number one rule of sheep is they is stinky. <laughs> it's kind of like Nacho Libre's, where, where is your, uh, Nacho, Nacho, where is your cloak? It was stinky. Anyway. <laughs> Watch the movie, a hilarious line in the movie, one of my favorite lines in the movie. Great movie, forget it, total uh, side point there. But he's lying there and they are, it's a stinky mess. The shepherd would rather be somewhere else, but instead he lies there for love, but also for incredible protection, right? He's going to protect those sheep from wandering off. Man, Jesus says, I'm the gate. Pause there for a second. You're the sheep. You are stinky. No. You, 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 you are the sheep, and Christ loves you that much that he's willing to spend his night lying in front of the doorway to protect you. He does. I am the gate. Then he goes on to say this about other people who have claimed to come in, and he says this, 
All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Now when he says all of them, he obviously doesn't mean, and he's, Jesus talks often about the people of the Old Testament, the prophets and the other leaders in the Old Testament. He's not dissing them. But he's saying, if anyone else ever in the history of the world before or after me claims to be the door, claims to be the exclusive gate, the gate, not a gate, the gate, they're a thief and a robber. There is one gate, and it's Christ. We'll see that real clearly in just a minute. There's one gate. Everyone else claiming to be a direct doorway to God is a phony, Jesus says. Now that is an exclusive claim. That is an exclusive claim. Every, all who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep, my sheep don't listen to those people. They know. They know. That's an exclusive claim. Now, listen, uh, um, I'm not a, a, a street fighter by, you know, it's not my background. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, I don't enjoy conflict. Certain people just thrive on it, you know, Irish people or whatever. If you're Irish, <laughs> they just do, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, it's just kind of that in their nature. I just not, I'm, I'm, I'm Norwegian. Ooh, you feel okay? You know, that's the way I am. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a fighter. My wife would acknowledge that. I, I have an edge every now and then, but by and large, I'm not a, not a fighter. So I don't get into fighting about things. And I know that there's people that say, oh, great, preacher, great, preacher, Christian preacher, super duper, pooper scooper. You <laughs> are saying that Jesus Christ is the only way. Man, is that an intolerant thing to say. What an intolerant thing to say that Jesus Christ is the only way. I mean, think of all the other people in the world, all the other religions in the world, and you're saying Jesus Christ is the only way. First thing I'm saying is, I'm not saying that. He's saying that. I, I, I didn't say it. So, I mean, blame the source, you know, if you want to really get, get somebody to be mad about it. I'm just saying back what he said. He says this, I'm the gate. I'm the gate. Everyone else is not the gate. Everyone else is a, is a thief and a robber. Second thing that drives me absolutely batty, though, is the definition of the word tolerance means that you and I disagree, and yet I don't kill you. <laughs> right? That's the definition. The definition means I, you and me, uh, we're not on the same page here, but you know what? We're going to talk about it in a civil way. It doesn't mean we're ever going to come to a point of, of agreement. And it's interesting because these people who hold no religious views call me intolerant and people who hold high religious views. I have great conversations with people who are from Islam. They just think the world. We, we have a great time. To we totally disagree. Totally disagree about who Jesus Christ is. But we're tolerant of one another. That's what tolerance means. In fact, if we both agree, you can't be tolerant. All right, I'm sorry, but that just drives me batty. Tolerance means we, I disagree with you, but I love you. Christians are very tolerant, just not milk toast. It's an exclusive claim. It is. It is the only way through Christ. Don't blame me. I didn't write it. He wrote it. Now, Jesus is going to talk about these other shepherds, these other people who come in and try to, or actually the thieves, they try to come over the top of the wall and do things. And he says this, there's, there's two different shepherds and there's two outcomes 
But the way the passage lays out is the first outcome lines up with the third outcome, so it's really like three outcomes. So you're going to see two shepherds, two outcomes, and then three numbers, and you're wondering how can that be, and it's a mystery. But it, 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 the first and the third kind of line up. So anyway, it says, Jesus says, I am the gate. Just make this clear. I am the doorway. I'm the one lying there. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The first shepherd and the first outcome is, if you allow Jesus Christ to be your gate, if you allow him to be the way that you look for life, if you allow him to be the one you go through, you will be, it says, saved. Now, what does that mean? That's a word that's used all over the Bible, saved, salvation. What does that word even mean? Well, it has, it has really one big meaning, but it has two distinct things. First of all, we often think of what will happen when we die. And you'll stand before a holy God. And you know what? You should think about that. Because like a song we sang, you are a vapor, or excuse me, we are a vapor, you are eternal. Man, you're a vapor. Hey, I know that's, you're going to, here's something that all old guys say, but 20 years ago, it was like that. I mean, 20 years ago, it was like that. And you're going, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, really. It's really true. It's just gone. You're a vapor. Unless the Lord comes back, you're all going to die. 100% prophecy will be fulfilled. I know it. And you will stand before a holy God, and so will I. And what will happen? Salvation in the Bible comes back to this beautiful thing here. It's why it should, it's the, it's the, I'm not really a big symbol person because sometimes I think we can get too overtaken with them. But this one, this one is what it's all about. Is that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he took your sin for you. You're going to have to stand before a holy God and God being completely just, he's a perfect judge, he's going to declare you innocent or guilty. If you have any sin on you whatsoever, you are declared guilty. And Jesus Christ died on the cross and infinite, an infinite payment was paid because he was fully God and fully man. He died even though he never sinned. He died to take your sin. He will take your sin and give you his life. It's a change. It's the greatest news in the, in the world. That's why it's called the good news. He will give you his life. So that on judgment day you can stand there clean, completely clean. You'll be judged on the life of Christ. If you come to the point where you, this, this passage says, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. If you enter through Jesus Christ, if you trust Christ, say Christ alone, I need you as my Savior, I need you as my sin bearer, will you, take that for, will, you, will you do that for me? If you're at that point in your life where you let him be your gate, best news in the world, you can walk out of this room. Maybe you've never set, set foot in a church before. You can walk out of this room knowing that your sins are forgiven. That's awesome. But then, it's more than that. The second part says, he will come in and go out and find pasture. That, that was a, a phrase there, meaning that when you say someone can come in and go out, it means that you can go in and out of your house without hostility. You knew you weren't at war. I live in South Minneapolis, and, and, and I live... Uh, you know, there's, there's different, I live on Lake Street, or right half a block off Lake, and, and we have different parts of Lake Street. Uh, we, have, we have Lake and Bad, I can tell you where that is. We have Lake and Really Nice, and we have Lake and Okay. I live Lake and Okay. You know, it's kind of in the, it's not, 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 not real nice, but it's, you know, we still got our issues. We've had, we, you know, murders and different things in our area. So it's, you know, 
little tough, but not real bad. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's scary enough at times. So at certain times of the, of the night, like one morning at 4.30 in the morning when I was pulling a suitcase, walking down the light rail, I had fear going through me. Not just fear somebody would steal my you know, underwear or whatever was in my, in my... But just thinking, what an easy mark here. You know, Some clown, obviously going to the airport, could easy, easy target. And there's this sense of fear. By and large, though, living in my neighborhood, I don't feel that. I feel comfortable, safe. When I'm at my hometown, uh, Hibbing, Minnesota, uh, I mean, you've got to have a map to even find where I live out there. It's way out in the sticks. Uh, we, as a kid growing up, we got yelled at if we didn't keep the keys in the car. Okay? So, oh, where are the keys? Stevie, remember I told you last week, Stevie, where are the keys? You know, so that's, oh, man, totally safe. And that's the idea here. It says, when you come to a point you trust Jesus Christ, who can hurt you? Nobody. Oh, they can take your life. Sure. But ultimately, nobody can ever hurt you. If you know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven come judgment day, and you know that right now Christ is with you, infusing in you some life, no one can hurt you. Period. In anything. Ultimately. It'll hurt a little bit, but not ultimately. And what that means here is he will come in and go out and find pastors. More to salvation than just judgment day. It starts and, and it happens now. You feel that life of following Christ right now. That's what will happen if a person trusts Christ and they allow him to be the gate. Now, what about the second outcome? The shepherds, uh, the other shepherds, the people who are coming in, they're actually called thieves. It says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's why a thief comes in. They have ultimately, what they have in their mind is they have selfish gains, selfish purposes. I'm coming in and what do I want to do? I'll steal that sheep. I'm going to steal you so I can sell you or I can, you know, it says here to kill. Well, I'm going to eat you or destroy. I just come to do mayhem. That's what anything else will do if you will try to make it your life. Anything else. And especially anything that claims to be the gateway to God. Jesus Christ says, I'm the only way. I'm the only way. Look at what Jesus, what his motives are. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or some of your versions say, have it abundantly. Do you get that now? Man, it's, it's wild. Jesus said that I have come into this world I've come to be their shepherd. Why? To give you life. Like I said before, the primary thing that everyone sitting here right now, I know for without a doubt, what you want more than anything is a sense of feeling really alive, that everything is right. I feel like, mm, man, I'm going in the right places, and I feel like I'm making a significant impact, and people love me. And that's what you want more than anything. And what more to have Almighty God say that about you? That's what he's come to bring. He's come to bring life, and not just normal life, Life overflowing, abundant, life to the full. Now, what does that look like? I'm going to close by asking you a question. Do you want to live? Do you want to live? I told you before, I, this whole message comes down to me begging you for something, and I'm going to beg you right now. Live. Live. 
Do not settle for anything less. Do not get caught up in anything that can take you away from Christ because you'll think, oh, one little thing, one little thing, one little thing. Hey, I got roommates who are wasting their life right now. When I was in college, followers of Christ, they're wasting their life now. Don't do that. I know people in just the 10 years of hope that we've, they started out well, and then they let one little thing in, one little thing in, one little thing, and then pretty soon Jesus is irrelevant. And they'll say that to your face. My biggest fear in life is that Christ would not be any longer my gate. You have permission to kick me square in the butt if I do that. Because I fear walking away from Christ, and I hope you do too. Why would I give up life when all this other stuff is there for my enjoyment but not for life? I'm begging you. I'm begging you to choose life. This morning there's an invitation. There's an invitation to every single person here. I don't care if it's the first time you've heard about Christ and you can come to life for the first time or if you've been a sheep and right now you need to make a decision. Am I going to follow Christ? Am I going to let him be my gator? Am I going to try to let this other person, this thief and this robber, take control? You have those thieves and robbers in the pen. They're there all the time. They're in your mind. They're in your life. They're on television. They're everywhere. They want to rob you. Ultimately, this goes back to our great arch enemy, the devil, who would love to kill you. Who would love to take your joy and rob you of life. Don't do it. Choose life. I'm just begging you to choose life. I'm begging me. Choose life. Now, what does it mean to have that kind of life? And if you want life, here's how you can get it. I'm just going to go through John's writings. The Gospel of John. John loves that word life. He uses it 42 times. We're not going to hit on that. All of them. I'm going to hit nine from the Gospel of John and one from one of John's letters. And I just want to read these to you in closing so that you can choose life. And we're going to go through them chronologically is it the same way as we went through the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's speaking about Jesus Christ here. He says, He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. John chapter 3. Jesus is speaking and He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. What does it mean to have life? It means to put everything else on hold and to say, Christ, I just trust you. You're all. You're everything. You're supreme above all things, and I put you there in my life. Right now I do that. That's what it means to believe means to have life. John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life, the real life. John chapter 5, he's speaking to religious the religious rulers who know the Bible or the Old Testament at that time and yet have missed the main point. He says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Study this Bible to get to know Jesus Christ. Study it. But know that you're not just studying it to pass a PhD exam or something. You're studying it so that the words of it can impact you so that you can know Christ. 
Verse, uh, chapter 6, he's continuing on this the same discussion with these religious rulers. And he says, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do these works that you're talking about, that, that God requires? And Jesus answers, here it is. There's the only thing you got to do. The work of God is this. Believe in the one he has sent. That's it. Believe. That's not easy. It's a huge amount of, of, of work and effort and everything to just trust, but it's the work. Believe. John chapter, um, John chapter, this is John chapter 6, and I got these separate. Here we go. John chapter 12. Now, the, there's, uh, there's four of them here that I don't want to spoil the end of the book of John for you, but uh, it has existed for 2,000 years, so I guess I'm not writing it as it goes along. But the, the, uh, I'm going to read a few of them that are ahead from where we're at. John chapter 12, he says, And tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, one seed dropped to the ground. But if it dies... It produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it. While the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If you're holding on to your life, I need, I need to do this. I have to have this. You know what he's saying? He's saying is, you don't understand. That's exactly the thing that will kill you. Let it go. Open it up. Let it drop to the ground. It will, it will sprout up. Let it go. John 14, Thomas is speaking to him. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Probably the most exclusive claim Jesus Christ ever made. No one comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying right before the time when he's going to be taken and then ultimately crucified. He says, after this, Jesus, uh, after, after Jesus said this, he looked up towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. He's going to define what life is. That they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Stop and think about that for a second. That's what eternal life is. If you're thinking you're going to heaven someday so you can uh, play pinball to your heart's desire, there might be pinball in heaven. I have no idea. But ultimately what it is is you will know God. And he says that that happens now. That is radical stuff. That right now, if you start a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you just come to a point where you say, you know, I want to renew that relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to get going, what you can do is have a personal relationship with the Almighty God, the one who created everything. I think sometimes we just go to church and we have kind of this mentality that, um, you know, I just want to hear a few things, I want to sing some songs. And man, I'm talking about eternal God time here, Almighty God of the universe. And you can know him. Thy brain doesn't fathom that enough. And we're sitting here during worship, and I, I was thinking about that, thinking, God, you are worthy of everything, and I can't even put words to it, how awesome you are. This is what eternal life is, that you can know Christ, and you can know the Father. John chapter 20, why the reason that... Uh, John wrote his gospel. He says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that 
you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And then the ver- I want to include one other passage because it's the single most important passage for me as far as uh, when I was on the fence in, when I was a freshman and I was on the fence whether or not to become a follower of Jesus, this was the passage that made me say, yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it. 1 John 5, 10 through 13. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he's not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you can know that you have eternal life. When I hit that word know, that I actually could live life knowing that I'm I'm heaven bound, I said, Lord, this is stupid to not do this. I had to overcome some fear. I had to overcome some, I have to give up a few things that I'm getting life out of right now that are not only not life-giving but just morally wrong. But it's ultimately, if you just do the math, it's ultimately not worth it. Let me close by just asking you again. Do you want to live? Do you want to live? The invitation is open to everyone this morning. The invitation is there. The invitation to every single person in this room. Do you want to live? Are you going to open your heart and, and, and go through the gate? Or are you going to let everything else fill you up? Let's pray together. Lord, as, as you know, as I talked to you this morning, um, I needed to hear this message probably more than anybody in this room. Uh, just feeling this week just disconnected for a variety of reasons, a lot of busy things, good things, but busy. And yet, I think of what your word talks about. The worries of this life can oftentimes choke out the joy we have in Christ. And so, uh, Lord, I need, I need to hear this. I need to be the first in line saying, I need, to, I need to go through the gate. And so, Jesus, I just acknowledge to you that you're my gate. And, Lord, I want life more than anything else. I want eternal life more than anything else. And I want life right now. I do not want to waste my life. God, your sheep are in this room. God, I gave an invitation. But your spirit has to work. Otherwise, the invitation is just me speaking. But if your spirit speaks, then, then people's hearts will respond. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you'd call, that you would just, just same as the, as the uh, parable who sa- says here that the shepherd would walk in and, and that the sheep would recognize the shepherd's voice. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you'd call. And if there are people in this room who you're making it very clear right now, if they should turn from something and turn towards you, that you'd make it clear. Spirit, if there are are people in this room by your power 
who, for the first time in their lives, you're revealing to them that they have never come to a, a saving knowledge of you. They've never come to a point where they've said, I, I, I want to follow Christ. They've never crossed that line. Lord, would you, right now, by your spirit, would you just let them know that? And call them to yourself. Have them open up their hearts to you. Lord God, I know that there's a lot of pain in this room. I know I read the cards every week. and So Father, I just ask that as a loving shepherd, you'd shepherd. These, these are, this is your sheep. These are not my sheep. These are your sheep. And, and I'm one of them. I'm one of the sheep. And you, you need to shepherd us with your love. And God, I know I was hard today on those who are wandering. But Lord God, by your spirit, would you warn them? If they're wandering, if they're wandering out there, God, bring them back. Pray by your spirit that you'd move in such a way that not only would they um, turn in, in a beautiful but repentive way back to you, but God, they would desire to do so. Like Cassie said, it's not a bunch of rules. It's about a love relationship with, with Christ. And so I pray for that, that you would call them back to that. Jesus, we need you as much today as the blind man needed you in John chapter 9. Would you be with us? Even as we sing this last song, would your spirit do works in us? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.